0: Welcome back, everyone, to Cinematicon Ex Mortis, the horror movie discussion podcast hosted by... Heather? And Kenny. And... Uh, for this, we're
1: going to get that straight. We're
0: someday we'll get it. Um, for this episode, we're going to be looking at Dracula from 1931, the English language version, because um, there is a Spanish version. We, maybe we'll talk about that. Um, although, really, it deserves its own episode. Um, so let's talk about some of the basic uh, facts about the movie so this was released in february of 1931 so nine months before frankenstein making it the first major sound horror film ever directed by todd browning it stars bella lugosi helen chandler edward van sloan and dwight fry it was written by garrett fort And it was an adaptation of the famous uh, Bram Stoker 1897 novel, of course, but by way of the 1924 stage version, which was written by Hamilton Dean and John L. Balderston. So that had been a big hit on Broadway, I think Broadway, um, and uh, so they made it into a movie. Um, The cinematography is by uh, Carl Freund who is well-known in the horror genre for having directed The Mummy the next year. Uh, But he also previously worked on a bunch of classic silent films, including Metropolis. So he's a really important cinematographer. Um, So I guess I'll start by uh, doing a little plot summary here. Um, And we are going to spoil the film. So Mm -hmm. uh, if you already saw our or listened to our Nosferatu episode already kind of got spoiled because it's the same story but um and also this next part of the podcast may be quite boring to you um, because you will have heard a very similar plot summary before so we apologize for that i don't apologize heather does not apologize (laughs) but i i apologize for both of us so there's nothing you can really do when someone apologizes on your behalf you just you are have been apologized for okay well that's that's that okay so um young professional renfield arrives in transylvania to draw up papers for count dracula's purchase of carfax abbey in london on his way to castle dracula fearful villagers warn renfield against going up to the castle saying that vampires live up there but he does not heed their advice dracula turns out to be a creepy weirdo who walks through (laughs) spider webs without disturbing them and never drinks wine in the night, Renfield is approached by the Count's trio of vampiric brides, but Dracula waves them away and bites the solicitor's neck himself. By the time Dracula ships out for London, Renfield is a raving maniac and the Count's devoted henchman. It's up to a cast of city folk, including Professor Van Helsing, sanatorium administrator Dr. Seward, Seward's daughter Mina, and Mina's fiancé John Harker, to stop Dracula from draining all the necks in London. So, uh, we just recently rewatched this movie. I think we've both probably seen this several times. Mm-hmm. How, you've seen this one before, right? Oh yeah. Um, so what did you what did you think of it? This recent uh, watching of it.
1: Well, I always like it. That's never gonna change. But obviously, I have different opinions about it every time I've seen it. This is the first time I've like watched it and like paid really close attention because you know. Uh homework is due yeah so so um, did you
0: notice anything that you didn't see before
1: i think i noticed a lot of little things what about you did you
0: um yeah um this time i was thinking more about like dracula's powers Uh i guess seeing a bunch of vampire things in a row it makes you think about, like, the little changes that each movie makes to the vampire lore. Like, uh, when we watched Nosferatu, we were talking about how that's the first movie where vampires are killed by sunlight. Um, mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. in this one, so I was kind of thinking about, like, okay, what does he do? I mean, he turns into a bat several times. That's something he can do. Orlock never did that. Um and then he, but his powers are just kind of nebulous. Like it's never really explained what exactly he can do. And he has these sort of weird things that he does, like um, doors just kind of like open for him uh, on
1: mm-hmm. their own. He
0: doesn't ever have to like open a door with his.
1: It's like a very hand. specific telekinesis.
0: Yeah, like it only seems to affect doors. But who knows? Like he might have just telekinesis in general. Um, and,
1: but we only see him use it for that thing.
0: Yeah. Which... and it may just be well yeah like it may just be like the doors of his castle are like enchanted or something but uh and then like when he's leading renfield up the steps like that's a really famous sequence uh, where there's this like giant ass cobweb that covers the whole mm-hmm. walkway and we see uh dracula leading Renfield towards it and it's like okay well what's he gonna do when he gets there we just cut back to Renfield as he looks astonished and then we cut back to Dracula he's on the other side of the (laughs) cobwebs and then Renfield has to like kind of push them away as he goes through so it's like well what did what did Dracula do what did Renfield see um I really like that that moment yeah but it's just it's just one of those things where like the movie's kind of hiding from us the extent of Dracula's strange uncanny abilities.
1: Well, I kind of like that. I like that it's there's stuff left to the imagination. I think when people try too hard to portray that, it can get like muddy and then it can look stupid. Yeah. And then it just ruins everything. Yeah. I like mysterious things.
0: Like I would say I mean, we talked about this in our White Zombie episode. The bats in this movie... Yeah. They look stupid, (laughs) I I have to say. I mean, they look bad. I mean, I don't know that it's so much the puppet itself, but just the way that it moves. Like It just sort of of floats in the air and flaps its wings, and it's like, that's not how flying works.
1: (laughs) Mm, No, but maybe they ran out of money, and they were like, just quick, just run out to the Halloween store and just get us some bats and...
0: The, the animals in general, like the puppet animals in this, like, uh, in that scene that we were talking about with the spider web, we see the spider like crawl away and it's like a, you know, a rubber, <laughs> some giant rubber spider that's just being like pulled on a string away. It's, it looks like quite silly. Uh, and then there's, um, a part where Renfield in the insane asylum is trying to eat a spider and the, uh, keeper is getting it away from him and, The keeper, You know, they could have just had nothing there and just had the keeper, you know, pull something that was in his hand and just flick it away or something. But instead they had a big rubber spider and he kind of like dangles it between his two fingers. And it's like, okay, that's, you know, that would (laughs) be in a novelty store. That's clearly not an actual spider. Mm. Um, So, yeah, there's that. I think that the special effects in this really pale in comparison to those in uh, the... 1922 Nosferatu Um, I like that one better uh, for special effects but what I do like in this one is like all the the sets and the the crazy matte paintings like when they go to Dracula's castle we see the carriage like going up towards the castle and there's like this crazy like uh, uh, I don't know the castle is kind of like up on a cliff and there's uh, the path leading up to it has like these big cliffs on either side of it um, and it just looks really cool um, so I really like the art there and the way that it's integrated like we can see the carriage moving up at the the bottom of the shot and clearly at some point that that shot just becomes a painting but it's not very clear like at what point the actual you know set that they were using ends and where the matte painting begins it's really well done
1: yeah I think that's pretty unique and interesting
0: how do you feel about this film overall Heather
1: Um, I love it, but I think the major criticism I have is, like I said, when we were watching it, there's some places where I would have put music.
0: Yeah, and they did not put music anywhere because as one of the first uh, sound horror films and, you know, a very early sound film in general, uh, they hadn't really made the transition to having full uh, scores, yeah, so there's some music over the opening. It's not even original music. It's a bit of Swan Lake.
1: I read that. Yeah. And then
0: that's it. That's all you get. Uh, the rest of the movie is totally silent, um, as was Frankenstein from later in 1931, which we watched before. But we were talking about how you don't feel it as much in Frankenstein because there's a lot more going on in the sound design in general. Like there's like storms happening, and there's like there's something interesting to be listening to all the time. You know, and you know, you don't always need a musical score in a in a movie. Like, uh, there's some great movies that don't have scores even now. Like uh, No Country for Old Men. Did you notice if you watched I've, that? I haven't seen it. Oh, okay, well, you I think a lot me. of people watch that and they don't even notice that it doesn't have a musical score because they're you know it it doesn't need it.
1: You told um, me I'd hate it, oh, so really? I never watched it. Yeah.
0: Why would I? I don't
1: know. I haven't seen it.
0: Oh. Well, I retract my statement. You should definitely check it out. I love that movie. But anyway, um, yeah, I do feel like there are moments in this that are where there's sort of nothing going on sonically and it can get kind of boring. Um, So some people have tried adding scores. Um, There's a... Really? Yeah, there's a score composed by Philip Glass. So I've I've seen the film with that score um, on it.
1: Did it improve it or not? No? I
0: found it distracting. Okay.
1: Um, Well, then again... You probably were watching it knowing that there's, like, an added score, so you were looking for it. Yeah. I don't know. I'd be interested to see just for funsies.
0: Yeah. So maybe that's in a the, few years yeah. we can come back to this and watch it with the score again.
1: No, we're just going to do 45 different...
0: Once we run out of related... horror movies to do...
1: You want to run out of horror movies? Yeah,
0: like, once we've used all the other horror movies that have come out, then we can come back don't to this. I think
1: that's going to happen, but everyone should have a dream.
0: Yeah, my dream is to do every a horror billion movie. <laughs> podcast episodes about horror movies. Oh God! Um, yeah, I I think yeah there are moments where it gets a little little boring because of the the absence of a score. I think you know it can work for it too though. Like it can add to just the creepiness. I
1: think it would be so much worse if it wasn't Bella Lugosi, who just is making that face the whole time you know and it's like that's pretty creepy
0: yeah he's fantastic yeah he's great so this is his breakout role um he was in the play version that Mm -hmm. this is based on Um, but as sometimes happens they were considering ditching him for the film version in favor of a more you know, bankable actor that was already known. Mm -hmm. Um, That happened. What's the famous, was it Julie Andrews that that happened to? It's happened
1: to uh, a lot of people.
0: Yeah. Um, But that it didn't go that way. So I think Todd Browning originally wanted to cast Lon Chaney. Um, That's not the star of the Wolfman, but his father who had been in a bunch of silent classics like the Phantom of the Opera and the Hunchback of Notre Dame. And um, he had worked with Browning before, Um, So I think the idea was that he was going to be in uh, the role, but he unfortunately died. Um,
1: Or did he fortunately die? uh,
0: uh, (laughs) Maybe for for the sake of Dracula and Bela Lugosi's career, but um, in terms of, you know, being a great screen legend, the man of a thousand faces, I'm sure that we wouldn't wish his demise to have come so soon so yeah so it did end up going to bela lugosi and it launched his career as a you know villainous or monstrous character actor um in like a million horror movies he's one of the first him and uh, boris karloff um who also his career sort of got jump-started the same year by frankenstein they're sort of the two great horror icons
1: yeah well I guess Bell Lugosi agreed to some like ridiculously low salary for this movie and that's like ultimately why he got it. So I guess that was like kind of a crapshoot, but ultimately it worked out in his favor.
0: Yeah, kind of. I mean I think he always wanted to get away from horror movies and, you know, do bigger, uh better respected movies. Um, he wasn't like a, somebody who really wanted to be in the horror genre, but he was sort of mm-hmm. there by, by happenstance, you know, he happened to be a Hungarian, uh, American actor who could not shake that thick accent. And of course he has this great face to play these characters as well. So, you know, what else are you going to do with them? <laughs> um, poor thing, but yeah, he's fantastic. Um, he, he just really goes for it, you know? And I think there's so many elements of this that feel like a stage play. Like, it's a very stagey, um, early sound movie um, where, I mean, there's just, like, long scenes that are all in one room and characters just enter and exit mm-hmm. and are like, oh, no, this thing, exciting thing just happened in the other room. Let me tell you all about it instead of, like, in a movie. So like, like,
1: Frankenstein. We can...
0: Yeah, Frankenstein was kind of like that, yeah, as well. Because that I think... was
1: based on a play mm-hmm. and then we talked about how that looked like a play in a lot of aspects
0: yeah and, and this one i think is like even more so um and the yeah. acting a lot of times is like very theatrical um and i think baili oh, lugosi's yeah. acting is is theatrical but it totally works um in his case yeah um, whereas in some of the other characters cases uh i don't know i, I don't, i'm not crazy about some of the performances you, in this you're
1: not going to talk shit on renfield
0: Oh no! I love oh, Dwight thank Fry. God. Um, so uh, I was
1: gonna leave. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I'm. am a huge fan of Dwight Fry. I think he's like the the unsung hero She's of the, the Universal best uh, catalog. Yeah,
1: I love him. Oh my god. I'm he's start in everything. a fan club.
0: He's in this. He was Fritz in Frankenstein.
1: Oh my god. He
0: was uh, Carl, the hunchbacked assistant in Bride of Frankenstein, who is not the same character as Fritz, but a different hunchbacked assistant. I didn't even
1: know this.
0: Well we talked about it when we did that
1: Okay, well, Bride of you know, episode. that was a long time ago now.
0: Um and uh, he is, he's in like all the classic universal horror movies in some capacity or other.
1: Well, that's good. Um, cause he's the best.
0: Yeah. And that's, that's part of what I think like led them to ultimately start crossing over these movies and turn it into like the first cinematic universe long before <laughs> Marvel did it, mm-hmm. um, was that these movies kind of all have the same actors anyway. Like they feel like they're part of the same world even before they were, um, because, you know, the studio system. So they would have, you know, each studio had its own stable of actors and they would just put them in whatever came out. Yeah, so Dwight Fry, we should say, plays Renfield yes. in this, who is the, the madman. Um, and he also sort of picks up a bunch of uh, what should be John Harker's role in the film. Um, so in the novel you have not John Harker, but Jonathan Harker, um, who goes up to Dracula's castle at the beginning of the story and is doing the real estate thing, uh, selling him Carfax Abbey, and then um, he does not turn into a crazy person. He escapes from the castle and uh, comes back to London, and then with the other characters, they're trying to you know solve the problem of Dracula, and they end up chasing him back to Transylvania and killing him there. Um, whereas in... Both film versions, they combine the character of Renfield, who's like this crazy guy who's like a wannabe zombie in the sanitarium in London, with one of the other characters. In Nosferatu, they combined him with uh, Harker's boss. And here they combine him with Harker himself, which has, I think, the maybe intended, maybe unintended consequence of leaving Harker with like almost nothing to do in the movie. Um mm. So, I mean, I I don't know why they did that exactly. Like, I guess they just felt like they really wanted to have Renfield in the movie because he's, like, so interesting. You know, this crazy guy. um, The blood is the life. Like, that whole thing. Like, you got to have him. Got to have Renfield. But they wanted him to do something in the earlier part of the film or they needed to connect him to the plot in some way. Um, And they couldn't figure out a way to do that beyond combining him with another character.
1: I don't know. I wasn't there.
0: Yeah, I'm just, I'm just, uh, <laughs> you know, trying to like reverse engineer yeah. these strange decisions because, I mean, I think it works fine in in Nosferatu to just make him Harker's boss because that's a character that you know should probably get combined with somebody else as you're simplifying the story and trying to minimize the number of characters, um, and it gives gives you know Renfield something to do in the earlier part of the movie, but here it's like, uh, now we Harker is like a nothing character like he's just mina's fiancee who is like confused about (laughs) her turning into a vampire in the second half of the movie and then i guess at the very end uh when uh van helsing goes to stake dracula he asks harker to like get him a rock or something to put the stake in so he gets goes and gets something so good job
1: that was his one thing that he did
0: Yep, you got a metal <laughs> thingy that he used to pound the stake into his heart.
1: Yeah. Um, I thought that I probably was exaggerating that in my mind how useless he was, but apparently not.
0: Yeah, he does nothing. And the actor does nothing for me, I have to say. Oh, yeah,
1: no, I couldn't pick him out of a lineup. I don't I don't know what that guy looks like or what he did or anything.
0: Uh, yeah, one of the actors that I do think is pretty good other than Bela Lugosi is the one who plays uh, Mina, Helen Chandler. Mm-hmm. I thought her scenes were some of the most effective in the movie as far as, like, being actually creepy. Um, Because that's one thing we haven't talked about is, like, how scary is this movie still Um, to me? Like, not very. Um, But there are certain scenes that kind of, you know, uh, kind of still work. And one of them is where Mina is uh, telling the story of the, the dream that she had the night before, which actually wasn't a dream, we know. Uh, where she was bitten in the neck by Dracula, and her just, like, describing it and kind of, like, getting carried away as she's seeing in her mind's eye what she saw the night before. You can kind of see, like, the the sort of vacant stare as she she tells the story, and the camera kind Mm -hmm. of, like, zooms in on her face.
1: She did a really good job, like Bella Lugosi did, of just, like, I don't know, silent acting. Like, it's just, like, her facial expressions. I know there's a term for that. I can't think of it. Do you know what I'm talking about?
0: Mm, using body language?
1: Sure. But, you know, she doesn't... It's just, like, her facial expressions and... It's called, like, microacting or something like that.
0: Oh, I've never heard of that. Yeah,
1: but she's really good at it.
0: Yeah, and she's uh, she's just interesting to look at. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, so she's pretty good. Um, Van Helsing, another, like, very... Theatrical performance bordering on wooden. Um, <laughs> and, uh, but, you know, he he does okay. Edward Van Sloan is another one of those guys who's in, like, all these movies. He was um, in uh, Frankenstein. He was uh, Henry Frankenstein's sort of teacher
1: oh, yeah, guy. Yeah.
0: yeah, so he's in that, too. He's in, he's in all these. Um, yeah. he it's was hard also, to tell
1: because yeah. it's black and white, and it's like, you know, you can't really remember people's features so good because they're fuzzy so
0: yeah he's also in frankenstein the guy who comes out at the beginning of the movie and warns you not to watch it if you're like a scaredy cat <laughs> do you remember that there's like curtains and a guy comes out all sort of dressed up in a suit and tie and he's like i'm here to warn you that this film may be too much for some yeah viewers yeah um, didn't
1: they do something like that for dracula too and they cut it you know what I'm talking about? I'm not aware of that. Oh, I read something about, they, they did that for Dracula, but it was, like, too scary. They said something like, if you find yourself afraid and you go home at night and look behind the curtain, like, don't feel crazy because vampires are real. Oh, wow. And they cut it out because, like, oh, my God.
0: <laughs> that was just a bit too much.
1: Yeah. That was, like, you can't be, like, telling people that the supernatural exists. Like, that's a big no-no. Can't do that.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, it is kind of weird that they would do that for their second horror movie instead of their first. You know, the thing where there well, seems like they're worried that it'll be too scary for the audience. So it makes sense that they would have thought about mm-hmm. putting it in the yeah. first one.
1: Well, apparently it got like so damaged, too, like there you can't even find it anymore. I don't mm-hmm. think it got destroyed or whatever.
0: So we've got those actors... Mm-hmm. The other ones I'm not crazy about are the uh, Insane Asylum Caretaker guy.
1: I don't like that guy because he's, like, abusive to the mentally ill.
0: He is? Well, he's abusive, but that's the character. Um,
1: well, I just don't like him.
0: Okay. Well, uh, I mean, he he is supposed to be, like, the comic relief, I think. What? Like, his, his scenes are always supposed to be comic. He
1: was, like, borderline the most terrifying character in the movie. <laughs> he's not
0: scary. He's...
1: So abusive.
0: What did he scary. even do? He didn't do anything. He's like else. always
1: mocking Renfield.
0: Yeah. Okay. So he doesn't. He's crazy. Uh, he's crazy. He's crazy. He
1: so they're like all
0: crazy. Yeah. yeah. He's got this obnoxious accent. He does have and, a really uh, obnoxious accent. And uh, I mean, he's he's really not abusive though. I mean, he just doesn't have like the modern attitude toward the mentally ill. He's that not we... woke. Yeah. He's not woke. But I mean, that's how people used to be. I
1: know, but I just don't like him. I just feel so bad for Renfield. I think that like anyone who's not super nice to him, I'm like fuck
0: that guy, you know. Mm. Interesting.
1: Yep. <laughs> I got really fixated on some background characters in this movie, not yeah. just
0: Renfield. Well, it's, inter- it's interesting that you like Renfield so much. I mean, I like him, but I like him as a I feel really bad for
1: him. No. Hmm. No, he's no. I mean,
0: he does want to be a vampire. He
1: well, I mean, I mean everyone has issues. Yeah
0: it's 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 kind of hard to even make sense of his character for me because like uh, I mean combining the characters the way they did yeah. is really weird no, that makes like sense. like when he's doing the Harker thing at the beginning he's like just a normal dude mm-hmm. and then it takes like all of four hours for him to turn from that into this completely different character who's just this madman. Well
1: we understand from other things that are said in the movie that like he must be really weak willed, right? Like I guess. he's a weakling. So he was probably already on the edge of insanity for whatever reason and
0: But they didn't show that. Like I know.
1: They... But he had to have been.
0: They should have, yeah. They should have in established him as already being like neurotic like really and high like, strung. or maybe like he has a fascination really with vampires, out. and he kind of went on this this uh, job because he wanted to meet Dracula because he's kind yeah. of obsessed with him okay. already or something like so that. He like
1: has like that modern day um, sickness where you think you're a vampire. You know what I'm talking about?
0: Uh, I haven't heard of that. I know that thinking you're a wolf is a thing, like lycanthropy. Oh. That's... Well, there's
1: one for vampirism. Okay. And actually there's a there's there's a disorder named after Renfield. There's a Renfield disorder. Oh.
0: Yeah. That's cute. And it's
1: like similar to believing you're a vampire. It's like these people kill little spiders and flies and shit and drink their blood and
0: Well doesn't everybody do that? That's not weird. Um okay. Um so yeah, Dwight Fry is is fantastic in this. Um, yeah,
1: he he put everyone else to shame pretty much.
0: I mean, yeah, he's 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 going all in. He on his
1: should have won four Academy
0: Awards for that. Um, yeah, I mean, there, there are just certain lines that the actors will say oh in a god, way his that's laughter just very is so
1: creepy too. His laughter, way he laughs, yeah? oh my god.
0: Um, yeah, he has one. Of, he has like maybe my favorite line in the movie. Just it's like it's hilarious, just the way he says he it. Um, when uh, uh, Van Helsing says something like, "Well, you wouldn't know Count Dracula," and he says, "Dracula, <laughs> I." Never even heard the name. <laughs> it's like I, remember, oh, I believe I, I believe that. that. Yeah, <laughs> it's like the least <laughs> least believable way you could possibly say that. Um,
1: yeah. So okay.
0: He has that, and then uh, you know, Bela Lugosi, The line I love <laughs> from him is um, when he says, "We will be leaving tomorrow evening." Uh-huh. The way he he like draws it out in this like very beautiful. Way like this ordinary line. He 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 makes so much out of like this very utilitarian um, line.
1: Well, I read that um, part of what was so scary about this movie when it came out was like the way he he pronounced words and and had space in between them, and it made him seem quote unquote like a living corpse, hmm. and that's what scared the shit out of everybody. So that had something to do with it.
0: Hmm. That, I hadn't thought of that.
1: That line in particular... I never would have thought of that, but I read it. So, did you know that this movie came out on Valentine's Day?
0: No, I did not.
1: And that in some ads it was portrayed as a love story? Hmm. And I'm like, oh, there's some angry people out there that went to see this movie <laughs> under some very false pretenses.
0: Yeah, I mean, you can do Dracula as a love story like the um, the 1992 Francis Ford Coppola, Bram Stoker's Why Dracula. Why can't I just
1: escape... This movie. Why do we?
0: Why? Do you want to do that, that one movie, next time?
1: Not really. I mean, uh, a little bit, but not. <laughs> that movie so bad, and everyone talks about it like it's so good.
0: I think it is so good, but I yes, do, we'll have I to talk understand. about that okay. in, at more length sometime. But um, yeah, in that one, they make it a, a love story where Mina is the reincarnation of uh, Vlad Tepish's princess. Um, okay. And uh, <laughs> but. But That didn't happen here. Yeah, I mean, and even in Nosferatu, the romance element is is more developed than it is here. There's a bigger
1: romance aspect in Nosferatu than there is here. Because
0: they kept the scene in where he sees the picture of Harker's wife in the castle, and he's admiring it. And Mm -hmm. so then when he goes to London, he's, like, creeping on her by looking out the window. So they have some, I you know, some establishment of a connection between them. Mm-hmm. Here, I mean, he goes after Mina, um, but it, it really felt to me like he was just doing that to get at Van Helsing, you know? He's like, and, you know, and Seward and Harker. Like, it was more like he had this rivalry mm-hmm. with the male characters who had figured out that he was a vampire and were trying to stop him. And he was like, well, guess what? You know, I'm going to get your chick, you know, so it was really Master about... to Steal Your Girl. Yeah, it was really this, like, male rivalry yeah, that was going bitch.
1: on. Yeah. I never... I, Romantic-wise, there's nothing going on for me.
0: Yeah, although, you know, of course, I would say Bela Lugosi is considerably better looking than Max Schreck in the... Just a tad. ...Nosferatu makeup. Um He's actually pretty uh, charming here, right? So he kind of charms Lucy. I really like the scene that we get after he first meets Mina and Lucy where they're Mm -hmm. sitting in their chamber Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, gossiping. And Lucy is quite taken with the count. Mm -hmm. Um, So we see that the vampire is attractive for a lot of the same reasons that he's scary. You know, he's, he's... foreign he has this weird accent he lives Mm -hmm. in a cobwebby
1: gothic castle he likes
0: it that way and he like yeah he likes his castles cobwebby and (laughs) gross and weird and uh and that's what's creepy about him but it's also kind of what's sexy about him like lucy is like "Mm." yeah
1: well i mean she's probably sick of meeting the same boring dudes all the time
0: yeah because she says to mina like oh you're not into him because he's not like John, you know, and we, we know how boring John is. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> Seriously. Poor thing. Of course.
0: I think that's where a lot of, like, vampire fiction would go in the, you know, re- uh, years between now and Dracula is the sort of blending of the sexiness of the mm-hmm. character with its its creepiness.
1: Mm-hmm. I like vampires. I get it. Don't have to sell me on it.
0: We talked a little bit about the, the structure of the movie, but I was thinking a lot about the structure this time and that I hadn't really thought about before, and just how like weird the movie structure is like compared to most Hollywood movies. Um, so one thing that's kind of odd is I don't think we really have a protagonist. Like usually in a in a Hollywood movie what you have is a main character and that character has goals And then there's, like, some other character that opposes those goals. That's the antagonist. Mm -hmm. And you have a conflict between them, and then that resolves, and that's, like, the conclusion of the movie. So if you look at the first movie we watched, uh, Misery, you've got uh, Paul Sheldon, the writer. He's our hero. And his goal is to escape from Annie Wilkes' house and not get killed. Mm -hmm. And Annie Wilkes' character, um, her goal is to prevent him from escaping and if necessary kill him. So their goals are completely diametrically opposite. And so there's a necessary conflict between them. And that is the story, right? Mm -hmm. Um, so here, I mean, we have a clear antagonist, which is Dracula. Mm -hmm. Um, but who's the hero that opposes him?
1: Well, I thought about this a lot. Um, and my initial answer was Mina, and then I like did some research, and that seems to be the consensus is that it's Mina. It's oh, not interesting. Just me that made that up, because that sounds like a very me answer. But apparently, in the book, she's the one who has the most entries and and letters written and stuff. So there's that, and that's kind of how I felt when I was watching it. I felt like first of all, she's one of the more interesting characters. She gets, like, just a tad bit more character development than some of the other people. Um, I mean, I feel like it's a little messy in that aspect. as it's, it's not very clear, but, I mean, at least it's different.
0: Yeah, but, like, I guess the thing with Mina is, like, she doesn't seem to have much agency in this story, right? Like, what does she do, really? She just... Gets bitten on the neck while she's lying in bed, and then she sort of turns into a vampire. I guess she tries to stop herself from turning into a vampire a yeah, little bit. Yeah, there's like some she tries to warn. inner
1: conflict going on and stuff, sort of. Like I said, it's pretty messy. This is just like the best answer
0: there is. I mean, I feel like the closest would be Van Helsing, because he's the one who defeats I do, Dracula. I do
1: think of... He's, he's up there too. I think for me, it's those two yeah, in tandem.
0: Um, and he's the one who like understands what's going on mm-hmm. and, uh, takes steps to combat Dracula over the course of the film. Right. Like ordering for Mina's chamber to have the garlic, you know, and then Dracula will outsmart him and get the maid to remove the garlic and so then he, well, been,
1: but
0: he he has to figure out a new plan and then in the end he wins but the weird thing is i mean with both mina and uh van helsing i mean they they only come into the movie like
1: yeah
0: halfway in almost yeah. right so that's a little weird um yeah. and for van helsing like it's a bit odd to have a main character who's like this older guy who clearly has a history yeah like, he he seems like he already knows all about vampires and it's like well what's his deal right. like why does he know about I vampires i want to know
1: Van helsing's story
0: yeah and the film doesn't seem interested in that so that kind of seems like a character that would be more in the role of a supporting character like an obi-wan kenobi kind of thing like the older wiser mm-hmm. guy who like knows stuff yeah. because reasons
1: <laughs>
0: right um so, yeah, I don't know. I, and and the interesting thing to me is, I mean, looking at the novel... Um, so, the novel is an epistolary novel, meaning that it's composed of diary entries and letters between characters. Um, so, I don't think the novel entirely has, like, one clear main character. Like, every chapter has a different narrator.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, we're seeing things from different characters' perspectives. It's like Game of Thrones. Yeah, kind of like the Song of Ice and Fire series. Um and uh but just looking at the novel as like material to write a script i think the obvious choice is to make harker the main character like he goes to transylvania in the beginning so he's the main character there and then he comes back and then he's there for the second half of the story so he's in both parts of the story he has to like help defeat dracula at the end somehow. Like you would give him you would beef up his role in the second half rather than taking it away from the first half as they did here. Um but they they didn't do that with either of the the movies we've watched. In Nosferatu, I think it also has an interesting sort of uh structure where it kind of has two protagonists, I think. You have Hutter and his wife Ellen, mm-hmm. and the movie splits its time between them, so they're sort mm-hmm. of like dual protagonists, and in the first half of the film it seems like harker is or not harker hutter is the main character because he's going to transylvania and doing all this stuff and ellen's just kind of like being watched by (laughs) some friends that they have Uh and like having nightmares and sleepwalking and stuff um but then in the second half of the movie she sort of takes the leading role and she has to figure out what the vampire is by reading hutter's book and then um ultimately defeat the vampire um yeah. so that's kind of an interesting structure and then this one i think is like even weirder where it sort of it seems like we have a protagonist in renfield for the first part of the movie and then he gets killed which reminds me of like so spoiler alert for psycho it reminds me of psycho when we start with one character and then like 40 minutes into the film she gets killed mm-hmm. and it's like uh-oh, Like we, <laughs> there's no more characters <laughs> except the villain. So it's like, is the villain the main character or what's going on? And then it sort of becomes like an ensemble piece for the second half. And that sort of ham- happens here, too. Yeah,
1: that's true. That's a good way to put it.
0: So, I don't know. Do you think that makes the film uh, more or less effective?
1: I, I don't think you really think think about it when you're watching it Hmm. just because there's a lot going on and you know it's just not something you get really hung up on because it's it flows really well this isn't a movie that like drags on and on and on where it's like oh my god what and then like you lose focus and then you know this is a movie where you're pretty much engaged the whole time so you're not you don't have time to worry about that
0: shit yeah it's not super long for sure Mm -hmm. these early movies are pretty short um and yeah I mean Dracula is like interesting enough to keep us right wanting to know what'll happen next but there is this like big middle section in both of these movies where there's just like a thing happening and then another thing happening and it's like you kind of feel like okay what, where is this even going you know like we have Dracula biting the uh flower seller girl and then he's going to the opera and meeting these people and it's like what (laughs) (laughs) um
1: well, I guess it kind of makes sense later on.
0: Yeah, but it's like it's like starting a new movie almost. It's like like the first part yeah, is like its true. own story, and that's it's like true. now we're we're kind of introducing this whole other set of characters and like building everything up uh, from the ground up. Um,
1: well, I mean, I like it when things are different. Yeah. So you can't have the same formula all the time forever.
0: True. True. Um, so. We were talking last time about, um, what kinds of, like, cultural anxieties, uh, Count Orlock seemed to manifest. Um, mm-hmm. do you have any ideas about what kinds of fears Dracula might represent in the early thirties? Do you
1: think that they're different?
0: Well, um...
1: Well, cause in... I mean, he's, he's a very different... In Asperatu, he's ugly... Yeah. And creepy. And now he's, like, attractive and charming. So I guess, I mean, maybe I'm insane, but I feel like they could be sort of the same fears but presented in a different way. It's like, look, foreigners are creepy and ugly. Avoid them. Scream, run. But It's like, look, foreigners look attractive and are charming, but beware of them anyway. You know, it's like it's like the same message, but they're presenting it in a new way
0: maybe yeah
1: that's just how i took it
0: i kind of felt that although as we said i think there's even less of a romantic element to this story than there is at least between dracula and his female victims uh, than there is in nosferatu i think there's much more of like sexual overtones in this one in nosferatu i feel like the vampire is, is this hideous being and when he's feeding on people it's like he's a parasite or uh, like a wild animal or something. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas here, um, the scenes in which Dracula bites people's necks, although we actually never see the the bites right. happen. There's no blood and there's not even any fangs. They didn't have any prosthetic teeth for Bela Lugosi to wear. So if you think you remembered that, you might be in a... Uh, parallel dimension. There might oh be no. the Mandela effect maybe in place. Right um, uh, so the, the scenes in which he's biting people's necks, uh, they seem, they're, they're very sexualized. I think they're, they're sort of these erotic moments. Like he's, uh, descending on, uh, mm-hmm. Mina and Lucy while they're in bed. Um, or when he's, uh, assaulting the flower selling girl, um, you know, he sort of, like, envelops them in his cape. There's, yeah. It's like they're hugging. Um,
1: <laughs> well, that's cute.
0: So, it, it, yeah, it feels sexualized in a way that it didn't in the earlier film. So I think that, you know, there's anxieties around sexuality and, like, the the modern life uh, that people have in the industrial AIDS where they're living in the big city and you've got, you know, hookers on the street corner. you got flower sellers who might sell something other than flowers and you know you kind of have like uh a certain degree of sexual liberation going on in the 20s and 30s um you know not as much as like later on in like the 60s and 70s but um i don't know you kind of see this theme show up in some early hollywood movies of like the dangers of uh this uh uh sexual license um So I'm thinking of, like, another F.W. Murnau film, Sunrise, from 1928, um, where a man is, like, lured away by this uh, city woman who's kind of like a flapper Mm -hmm. and uh, ends up deciding to murder his wife. Um, Wow. Which, uh, that's a really good movie, by the way. Um, Okay. But, uh, yeah, I kind of feel like that's part of what's going on here with making the vampire more attractive.
1: Yeah, I mean, that makes sense for the times.
0: Um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I kind of feel like uh, the movie's, like, sexually repressive. And it's particularly concerned with women's sexuality. Like, Dracula mostly preys on women. And it's these, like, strong male figures like Van Helsing that have to protect them. And, like... The solution to the problem is like stay in your room, close the window. We'll put all this stuff on the outside. Never mind about like telling you what's going on. Um, We'll we'll take care of it, and then they go and like, you know, put the stake through his heart, which is like this. So,
1: what do you think the moral of that story is?
0: I mean, I don't know. I think you could. What's the point? Um, I mean, like the straightforward reading would be like, watch out ladies they're these sexy (laughs) guys that will take advantage of you maybe they're foreign
1: wear capes
0: watch out for capes um watch out for fog and hungarian accents oh yeah and uh
1: uh, i think i read that pamphlet in high school
0: yeah i mean yeah this is very contemporary stuff still (laughs) um and uh you know, stick with guys like John Harker. Definitely. He's a nice boy. He's nice boy. and boring. What's, what's wrong with John? He's such a nice boy, <laughs> you know? Um, and, uh... You would never wear a cape. Be a good girl like Mina and not a bad girl like Lucy. Although well, Mina's goodness doesn't... No. ...doesn't prevent her from being turned into a vampire. It does not. She, she does get rescued in the end. She's she turned back to human form. So whereas Lucy, like, what the hell happened with Lucy? We just never come back to her.
1: Yeah, and I did notice that. And Like, I'm sure you know I would notice that.
0: Yeah, um, like in the novel, they stake her first. Well, that's like nice. They, well, like way earlier in the story, well, they discover... Because she was the super
1: slutty one, so she has to go.
0: Yeah. Right quick. She's the first to die. She turns into a vampire who is known as the Bloofer Lady. Um, Blue? Bloofer. The Bloofer Lady. Um because she she stalks children which is quite a creepy plot element that's yeah. here too in in this version of yeah. the story um, it says
1: that in the newspaper
0: mm-hmm. yeah that the annoying
1: well if they know that much reading. information why weren't they able to catch her
0: well it's like yeah in this movie we get the part of the story where she has turned into a vampire she's visited Mina at night um, I, that's another great line in this movie that I love is when Van Helsing is questioning Mina and uh, John is like, why do you have to question her? Leave her alone, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and, and Van Helsing's like, fuck off. And then, uh, and then he gets back to questioning her and his first question is he says, and so when was the next time that you saw Lucy after she was buried? Um, this is a great line. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, so we get to the part where, yeah, she's clearly a vampire and wandering around sucking the blood from children, which is creepy. You'd think um, if they were
1: going to cut stuff out, like, damn.
0: Yeah, that's... going to leave that in? Yeah, it's pretty disturbing. Um, and, uh, and then in the book, the, all that happens, and the characters know, Van Helsing knows that she's a vampire, so they, they sort of have a stakeout... Where they, no pun intended, um, where they uh, watch for her and they see her go back into her crypt and then they follow her in there and they put this drive the stake through her heart. Mm-hmm. Um, so they save her soul by by killing her body. Mm-hmm. And uh, in the movie, they just cut that out and then so she just disappears from the story after that point. And you know, when they stake Dracula at the end, we see Mina like return to her non-vampire form but we never find out what happened to lucy
1: well i sort of imagined my own ending for lucy which was and the rest of the wives
0: what happens to I them really I,
1: I the thing happened again where i'm like waiting like no but what what about the wives like what do you you can't just show me these badass vampire chicks and then just do nothing with them that i was robbed so I just, I imagine that Lucy became one of the wives and that they all just went off together and now they can do all the vampire shit they want to do because, like, you know, Dracula was, like, their lord and master and he was like, no, I'm going to drink your blood. You know, and then now they can just go drink whoever's blood they want. Yeah. So they're just, like, this badass team of vampire chicks who travel the world sucking blood, you know, getting yeah. it up.
0: So that could be like its whole own movie.
1: Happily ever after, totally.
0: Um, yeah, I hate to rain on your parade, but what? I mean, if Dracula being killed turned Mina back to a normal non-vampire person, why wouldn't it do the same to Lucy and the other vampire wives? Well, I, my, my, of... I guess my headcanon is Lucy goes back to normal, but we just didn't see it. And the vampire wives go back to normal, but that means they turn to dust because they're, like, hundreds of years old.
1: Well, I I sort of interpreted... Maybe I'm insane, but I sort of interpreted Mina as, like, not a full-fledged vampire.
0: That's true. Maybe she only turned back so because she hadn't completely it. I feel turned. like
1: Lucy was... And then all the wives are, obviously. They sleep in coffins and the whole nine yards. So, they're, like, full-fledged vampires, and I feel like both Mina and Renfield are, like, kind of halfsies. Yeah. They've got, like, one foot in the grave.
0: This is another thing where the movie doesn't totally explain how the vampires work. Like, their powers are kind of nebulous and also, like, how how you transform into a vampire, what exactly Exactly. is Renfield We We should have
1: been told these things. (laughs) I like leaving some things mysterious, but I, I feel like we should have been informed more clearly about what's going on there. Okay. Like, you know how this works
0: i think i am in agreement with you though that i wish there was more of the vampire wives in the story um they're creepy i i think they're the scariest thing in the movie they're
1: so scary
0: and in the book as well um for me i this is kind of heresy for a english major but i'm not a huge fan of the novel also uh my girlfriend is a huge fan of the novel and i'm not um i think the first part of the novel with harker in the castle is fantastic i love that part but then the rest of it's kind of boring to me um okay and uh for me in the in the book the scene with the wives is the the scariest scene where they're gonna drink harker's blood and um it's just like it's creepy how they're like there's three of them and they all move in unison. It's yeah. kind of like the twins in the shining totally like people who are similar looking and move at the same time. is creepy. It is creepy. Um, and, uh, I felt super validated though. When I, when I read the book and formed that opinion and then I went and, uh, Read about how uh, Bram Stoker came up with the idea Ooh. because that's my favorite scene. And that scene was the inspiration for the book because uh, Bram Stoker had a dream where there were these three creepy women coming over to drink his blood. And then uh, he heard this booming male voice say, Get away, that one belongs to me. Mm-hmm. And then he woke up. And so he wrote the whole movie, or he wrote the whole book around that initial, you know, inspiration. And so uh, that made me feel kind of like smart or cool or something because I I, I sort of felt like that was the most interesting thing in the story. So it makes sense that that was where it all came from. Well,
1: that's crazy. You'd think there'd be more of it then, but, you know, whatever.
0: Well, so um, uh, I think a lot of like Bram Stoker Scholars think that he was gay or bi and was kind of, like, closeted maybe. Well, he
1: had that friendship that even his wife was jealous of. Hmm. Do you know who I'm talking about? No, I don't. It's like something Irving or something. He was, like, the guy who... I'm just going to totally wreck this, so I'm not going to say anything.
0: I know one fun fact about Bram Stoker, which is that... Um, his wife uh, had been proposed to by Oscar Wilde and rejected him before she ended up marrying Bram Stoker. Wasn't
1: so Oscar she Wilde was just gay? like
0: a, a magnet for she's a, soon to be famous she's a beard. gay Irish literary figures.
1: <laughs> huh.
0: But uh, anyway, so because because of that aspect of his biography i think uh some of the critics will sort of read into that dream this homoerotic thing with with bram stoker and this male figure that says he's mine Mm -hmm. um and so i think that maybe explains why you know he was much more interested in the the dracula figure and made the whole story about him Mm -hmm. um And uh, so I guess that's another way you could read the film, too, is um, that there's a sort of homoerotic dimension to um, Renfield's servitude to Dracula, where he, you know, calls him master and says, I'm your slave.
1: Um, (laughs) It's all just like one big homoerotic fantasy.
0: Yeah. At the same time that it's a nightmare about (laughs) sexual liberation of women.
1: Well, okay, well... Those two things could go hand in hand. Yeah. I feel like the, all, vampires being bisexual could all lead back to that. Because, like, pretty much since then, I guess not in, like, the most recent years, but, like, Anne Rice vampires, yeah. they, like, they're pansexual as fuck. Like, all of them. I don't know if, like, you have to be pansexual to be a vampire and that's why you get chosen, or if that's what happens to you when you become a vampire, but it's definitely inspired, like, tons of that shit, you yeah, know?
0: Yeah, definitely. So, uh, I think that's about it for Dracula. Oh, crap, we didn't talk about the Spanish version.
1: I don't know anything about the Spanish version.
0: Um, so, that's about it for <laughs> Dracula from 1931, directed by Todd Browning. Uh, join us next time. We'll be talking about The Silence of the Lambs from 1991. See ya. Bye.